Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the Terra Styles podcast. My goodness. I recently changed the title of my podcast and the category altogether from Feel Better with Terra Styles to the Terra Styles podcast to simply give myself more space and freedom to do things that I want to do. <laughs> my goodness, that's the that's the real answer. My goodness. But also feel like there's just so many really awesome conversations to have with different kinds of people. And not all of it is specifically focused on health and wellness and the idea of feeling better. Feeling better, of course, is amazing and not something I'm rejecting now. <laughs> but I want to expand to talking with people that I'm interested in having all kinds of conversations with. So my friend Kimberly Shannon Murphy wrote the book Glimmer, really inspired this change. She has suffered incredible childhood abuse, and I knew her back in the day in New York, and I didn't know her story, but I'm really proud of her and inspired by her and glad she got it down and out in the world. She's a world-class stunt double for all the big Hollywood movies. And her book isn't necessarily about feeling better. It's about feeling better in the long run. It's about healing. So she really kind of sparked this idea for me to kind of expand, expand to just, here's the podcast. <laughs> and on that note, today I am interviewing my dear friend, my old school BFF, Colleen Wacob. She is the co-founder, co-CEO, mega super mom, girl boss, kind of in this new age of girl boss that I'm not quite sure what to call it yet, but work-life integrated in a sort of values-driven, notice-how-you-feel kind of way. She has a new book out called The Joy of Well-Being. It's amazing. This was one of our Strala reads, and what I love about Colleen and obviously her husband, Jason, is a co-author and co-founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, is they share their own journeys of wellness in this book. I've known them because I've known them for the past decade, longer than a decade. And they started My Buddy Green around the same time that we started Strala Yoga. So we kind of grew up together in, in all things pursuit of yoga and taking good care of ourselves and sharing our passions with the world, this kind of stuff. And really their idea about wellness is also about not just feeling better and taking care of your health, but being joyful, being soulful, being connected to yourself and your community. So hence the joy of well-being. So I'm really excited to interview my good friend, Colleen Wacob, and enjoy. Yeah, I have the book. 
here it is finally yay <laughs> yay oh my gosh all right so colleen my bff and somebody i greatly admire in the wellness space female ceo boss extraordinaire my goodness uh so this book is all about joy and i feel like to me your middle name is joy you've always been a joy searcher have, have you felt like that is that part of your sort of long time wellness before it was a word journey, this kind of seeking things that are joyful for you? You know, it, it's probably more come to light over the past few years, especially after the birth of our our daughters and just, you know, we've given so much thought as to what is the point of all this wellness? We came at it when there was an acute need, something that need to be solved. And then when you start feeling better, you know, you start asking all of these bigger questions and why, what is the point of all these smoothies? What is the point of all this yoga? And, you know, I think why we're such great friends and have such, you know, respect for each other is we do have some shared values and philosophies, especially about feeling good. Mm -hmm. So whether you call it feeling good, whether you call it joy, you know, I think sometimes that really important ingredient of this whole wellness conversation has just been lost. Mm -hmm. So, I'm excited about it. I think coming off of a time in which there's just been a lot of sadness for a lot of humans between life, COVID, et cetera, like the idea that, hey, we're supposed to enjoy this ride. We only mm. got 4,000 weeks on this planet. Let's make the most of it. Let's let's really get in touch with ourselves and understand what makes us happy, what's what lights us up, and what gives us that childlike delight again. Mm. I love that. Um so I I sort of I've known you for a long time and through a lot of the stories that you share in the book. And I love I was talking with Mike this morning about how and you mentioned it on previous podcasts about how you I don't know what the right word is like, you know, push yourself down or almost gaslight yourself when you were going through all of these, you know, major health issues. So do you mind to share a little bit about your health journey, your wellness journey and maybe maybe the the first one that's big maybe there's another one that i missed before but the you know your pulmonary embolism moment and that that really seems like i mean i remember visiting you in the hospital and be like yeah what's going on like is colleen going to be okay you know a lot of waiting around figuring it out unsureness but i remember also at the same time you were kind of handling it very much like a trooper and you know, maybe I seem it seems now like you have some reflection around that sort of plowing throughness of it. So what was that like for you at the time? Yeah, I mean, it was such an inflection point in, in the direction of my life that, you know, played a hu huge role in getting me to where I am now. Um, and it, it does all start with your yoga class, although your yoga class had no impact on my pulmonary embolism. But after leaving your yoga class, you know, which was my Saturday morning ritual when we both lived in New York City, I started to, to feel a little out of breath. And I did your 11 a.m. strong every Saturday. So it, it wasn't an amount of exertion that was out of the usual. And I remember calling Jason and being like, I'm just having some trouble breathing. Can you come walk around with me? So we started walking a bit and you know, I was like, oh, it must be because it's hot. It must be because it's one of the first days of summer. I'm dehydrated. And then finally, I was like, we have to go home. Hmm. So we took the A train home. And the steps on this particular stop were really steep. And 
as I was walking up the steps, I remember falling down, Mm. which, you know, my husband's a fast walker, as you Mm. know, I was like, oh, maybe I was trying to keep up. You know, again, I I started the the gaslighting process. Mm. I finally make it out of the subway station and and keep on gaslighting myself. And I call my doctor, but I so don't want to go to a New York City ER in a weekend. Mm. And the thought that this would could actually be something life-threatening was so far out of my comprehension. Like it did not even occur to me. Um, so I was like, oh no, I'm fine. I'm dehydrated, you know, kind of saying the right things to your doctor to get out of it. And he's like, okay, well, if you know, if it happens again or you feel out of breath, call me again. So I did so many things that were out of the normal for me. I started napping. I started, you know, just being really lethargic the rest of the weekend. And come Monday morning, I was still working at Amazon. And I, you know, Jason said to me, the only way you can go to work is if you stop by the doctor on the way. Mm -hmm. So I stopped by my doctor and, you know, within a couple minutes of, you know, just listening to my heart, kind of hearing the full story again, reminding him that I was on birth control pills, um, looking at my ankle, he's like, yeah, you're having a pulmonary embolism. And I really like, don't think I knew what that word meant at this moment in time, but I knew it sounded scary. Mm. And, you know, a pulmonary embolism is, is clots, which, you know, have traveled to the lungs, which in this case had likely started in my leg and then moved up to my lungs. Um, and they can be catastrophic, of course, if not caught. So he gave me a little card that said, I'm having a pulmonary embolism. And it was back in 2012. So I hopped in a taxi and uh, went to the NYU ER. And I'm not sure if he gave me the card because he was worried if something happened while I was en route to the hospital and to get there, if I wouldn't be able to articulate what had happened. Mm. But sure enough, when I got there, I had showers of of clots in my lungs. Mm. Um, and I, I was just so confused as mm. to like how this had happened. And, you know, when a 32-year-old who looks healthy on the outside, you know, ends up in the ER, they do a battery of tests across Mm -hmm. several months. And, you know, I didn't have any of the common genetic predispositions to clotting, but I was on birth control pills. And I remember getting tested when I I got birth control pills in college. I actually had to take like a 30-point multiple choice Mm -hmm. test. But I think most of the questions were more around not getting pregnant and around, you know, the risk factors involved. Mm -hmm. And so I... I had heard about the risk of clotting, but didn't really think about it for probably over a decade. I wasn't a smoker, so I kind of wrote it off as something that I didn't have to worry about. But, you know, sure enough, after being on birth control pills for for over a decade and traveling very far over the world, it was, you know, a really quick trip to my my now hometown city of Miami on a flight that probably led led to it and learned through the process that my body does not do well on birth control pills. And I wrote about this for Mind Body Green back in the day, and the article went viral. Mm-hmm. So many people reached out who had had sister, sisters, or um, you know, friends, mothers with similar experiences, and you know, it was a real inflection point for me to kind of do that work of you know evaluating my life and what was working and what wasn't working. And I, I really hope that people don't have to wait until they have that complete breakdown of the body moment until they start thinking about their life. And, you know, we start the book, The Joy of Wellbeing, with how do you know when it's time to change your life? And I hope that we can, you know, just ask ourselves these questions every day and check in with ourselves so that we don't have to wait for these breakdown moments to, to make the type of change that leads us to a better place. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much in there about, and, and, and you're also just because, I mean, for so many reasons, but for the last 
how many since 2008 you've had mind body green like just the amount yeah. of the is is that the right 2008 yeah the nine nine okay gosh the like the doctors the you know before influencers like the people <laughs> prescribing the you know Frank and Mark and 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 Amy and all of you know our mutual friends now but is there science sort of changing around the birth control pill that you're aware of and like comfortable sharing as like general advice. You know, I, I was also on birth control for like, I don't probably 10 years too. And you know, nothing that I'm aware of happened besides I thankfully didn't get <laughs> pregnant at that time. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think we're all sort of, you know, we, we don't know, maybe it's sort of this phase now, you know, we all of course want to, you know, be in charge of our own health, especially as women. But is are there is there information that you're learning from all of your advantage points, having these these folks come at you and report things that sort of regular people like me aren't getting yet? <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot more awareness on a lot of the risk factors now mm -hmm. and a lot more of the dialogue so that people can make more informed choices about, you know, what is the right type of contraception, you know, for their lives. And I think a decade ago, the impact on hormones and, you know, the the clotting risk were just things that we didn't talk about as much. But even as I look at, you know, so many women in their 20s and 30s, I just think there's so much more awareness right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not to say, you know, obviously the pill is not the right choice for me, but I don't take that kind of point of view on the pill or even all pharmaceuticals. I think it's really about understanding all of the risks and, you know, making the most informed decision. We're also unique. We're bringing to this like so many different health kind of um, problems. And we're so individual that it's really hard, even for me, who's had this like catastrophic, you know, near catastrophic experience with the pulmonary embolism. I've also heard from, you know, women who've had endometriosis and it's mm -hmm. like the one thing that's helped them get relief. Mm -hmm. So despite my own kind of personal beliefs on it, I try to, you know, encourage people just to read all the risks and do all the homework. Um, we can't rely on our, our doctors to necessarily share um, all the information in the limited time we have, but really just encourage people to take their health into their own hands and and be the CEO of their own health and well-being. I love that. Well, thankfully, there's my buddy Green is a real <laughs> credible source of health and wellness these days with you know so much information from from all points. I I you know I think every generation says this, but you and I always say like, oh, I'm glad. I'm I'm not a young person now. There's so much more to navigate, but we sort of navigated through stuff without knowing there were problems with what we were navigating through anyway, sort of blindly. So we had our own challenges as well, for sure. Totally. And just with the proliferation of information, some of it good, some of it bad across social media, across the internet. I just think people have a lot more access now. Obviously, there's, you know, that's not a flawless system that we live in right now with so much information. And it's a little bit of a caco cacophony of voices right now. But I do think people are more aware and asking a lot more questions. Yeah, I think that's super good. Um, okay, the other like major one that I want to, you know, another one of your big Colleen moments, <laughs> I just call them the Colleen pillars, because, you know, I think I so many people that I know in our community are going through this now or have gone through it. And there's so much, like you said, in the book and in other interviews, 
it just wasn't talked about so much then. And I feel like even now there's, you know, maybe a little bit of wellness. I, I definitely felt around like getting pregnant, pregnancy, birth, like wellness pressures, whether that was coming from my own <laughs> ideas of like, you know, you deliver in the blue tub, you get a gold star, you know, you're in the hospital, like, oh, what happened? What was the big drama there? And even with how you <laughs> conceive and all of these, all of these sort of things that maybe we idealize or not. And you, you know, again, I, lots of walks with you during that time, you know, lots, very many long years of struggles that you both, you and Jason both endured. And went through to arrive at the 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 beauties of Ellie and Grace. <laughs> Thankfully they are here. But do you mind sort of sharing the the details of 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 all of that and that was for you and the struggles of but then also the maybe the pressures. I mean I know you were sharing with me too, but you know if if that was happening to us now, I feel like we'd have different different, maybe better conversations and better support systems that we could have talked about or, you know, more people to share with. Totally. I'm I'm so fortunate that the fertility conversation has advanced so much because when we were trying to get pregnant, it was a really lonely, lonely um, journey. And um, I think at the time, particularly within the wellness movement, if you couldn't conceive on your own, that meant you, you know, weren't being well enough. And there was a lot of just like finger pointing. And luckily, you know, wellness has come so far since that moment in time. Um and people are just so much more more candid about it. But it was a really lonely journey. And at the time, I think people were really critical um, of, you know, interventions, which I learned very early in the process, you know, we would need to conceive our children. Um, my husband, Jason, had, you know, some fertility issues called azuspermia. So we learned somewhat early on in our journey that we would need to have um, IVF um, to conceive our children. And, you know, we thought that that was getting to, you know, kind of the the finish line, but it ended up just being another start line for us in that it took us, gosh, just such a long journey of, I think a total of four IVF retrievals, mm -hmm. nine IVF transfers, and I think a total of 15 embryos um, transferred to get to our first daughter, Ellie. Mm -hmm. And it was such a, such a lonely <laughs> journey. And, you know, you, or at least for me, I ended up kind of looking at those stories of resilience um, and, really finding comfort in women who had shared their stories to know that there was hope at the end of the tunnel and um and light at the end of the tunnel it was such a lonely journey for us and we did find a lot of hope from other women and families who were sharing their stories and one of the things that i think celebrities that have done that is just like remarkable is like even sharing their stories of of surrogacy and so many other ways to bring children adoption into the world. It's really normalizing, you know, these conversations so that women can see other ways um, when they're going through some of the darkest moments of their soul to bring hope, to bring, um, to just bring new ways of thinking of it. Hmm. Yeah, I know it's, I I mean, I had a pretty, you know, normal normal-ish situation until the birth, <laughs> yes, you know, but, right. but I felt immense pressure to ditch my 
OB that I kind of got. I thought my regular OB did the baby thing and then she didn't. We couldn't find a doctor. It was this whole problem. But then I thought, OK, it's, it's fine. And then I felt immense pressure from the inside of myself and also my wellness friends to ditch that and to sort of go as you know natural as possible, which was against my own intuition. I sort of knew better for myself. And then, you know, ending up in 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 the hospital and needing a, a, a C-section, you know, and having that happen. And then it, it really snapped me into being like, doctors are good. <laughs> and that doctor <laughs> saved my life and, you know, and, and possibly Daisy's life. And I really am, am grateful for that, you know, to understand so many people's stories. You know, if I had this, not that I wanted it, but like a blue tub experience at home and I went on to share that, I, I probably would have been misguided that you can just green smoothie your way into that. And that's not the case. And, you know, Mike, Mike kind of puts it in a way where, you know, you can do stupid things to yourself and and you might not get in trouble, but it still doesn't mean that it's risky. And, you know, I think for our community too, a lot of folks and I try to talk to them about, you know, I don't have the experience you had, but it is very normal. There's nothing wrong with getting IVF. There's nothing wrong with going and getting these treatments, especially if you want to have children. But there's still, you know, especially in even in our yoga community, which I, you know, I think that we're on the kind of not so, you know, far off, you know, strange side of it, more on the middle of the road side of it. There is still this kind of hidden shame because you have other women in the same yoga community saying, well, I just, you know, manifested my way and, you know, did a yoga squat. And my baby came out in the forest and then everybody else ends up feeling bad about themselves. So I do really appreciate you sharing your story and also that you talk about other people sharing their stories. And I think that, you know, maybe that's just part of the healing process as well to get us to this place of you know, it seems like a reckoning that needs to happen amongst women too, because we're all trying to be good moms and be good caregivers and do the best we can. And there's so much pressure already um, around the whole thing. But, you know, so thanks for for sharing your story on, on the website and also in the book too. No, totally. And when I think of, you know, I've asked myself so many times, like why, when I was almost at, you know, the tail end of, you know, even needing birth control in my life, did I have this pulmonary embolism? And that, you know, I, I, I'm given that a lot of thought. And I do think one of the reasons was, you know, there's clearly something with my body and clotting, even if they can't point to it in a blood work. And I think I would have been that one of those women who would have blindly kind of gone into pregnancy and been like, fantastic, let's do a home birth or, mm. you know, Let's not necessarily have an OB presiding at the the birth and knowing that I was high risk. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is be cavalier when mm. your risk of clotting is the highest. And I think it really, you know, the whole experience has helped me appreciate the both of, of both worlds. Like I, I, I sometimes need the reminders on the holistic and the spiritual side and the importance of that for everyday health. But I also am such a huge fan of Western medicine and what it's brought us. And I think in the world in which we live in, you know, there's so many extremes, you know, and extremes invite other extremes. And, you know, I really do see the balance and the value and the beauty of both the holistic and the and the Western. And I think it's about finding the right times to kind of um, bring them to the forefront of your own lives. Mm, so good. Um all right. So, you know, one thing that I've always loved about just the things that got 
get thrown at you all over the years is the trends, the sort of wellness trends. And we've kind of together also, you know, seen it all come and go and some stay and some move on. But how do you as your position, you know, heading up with Jason, Mind Body Green, how do you do you have a a filter now when something comes in? Can you spot it as, oh, this will be really great for the moment and then we'll move on? Or this is a silly trend. You know, have you sort of developed some you know, crystal ball about seeing these things and what has staying power and what doesn't because it's just so fascinating. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like we've kind of moved away from anything fuzzy or trendy within the wellness world. And I'm sure there's some exceptions, but like... All of these, you know, superfoods or ingredients, like they're just very ephemeral. They come, they go. Maybe there's a social media platform that propels them um, during the midst of, uh, you know, an algorithm. But like we're really not very interested or focused on kind of highlighting those anymore. And that was perhaps, you know, more interesting at the start of wellness when, um, there was less of them, but now after almost a decade, we're really excited. We get excited about the fundamentals. We get excited when we can find things that are, you know, low cost, no cost, accessible, and have great science behind them. And that was a real, you know, motivation behind the joy of well-being is like when you take away all of this noise in social media and wellness, there's actually so much that we can agree on that's been time tested, science backed, and it isn't resource um intensive. Uh, I have such a conflicted relationship with the word wellness because the way I see it you know, portrayed right now, you've got like the bro buyer hackers who are in Malibu or maybe Silicon Valley and they're trying everything, um, you know, sometimes to a point that's that's dangerous. Um, they've got a lot of resources, but it's it's not a lifestyle that is compatible with you know, being at the life stage I'm at. And then at the other extreme, you have something we've talked about, Kardashian wellness, where it's a lot of bling. It's, you know, a lot of money and it feels like more fashion wellness mm -hmm. than, you know, true wellness and well-being. And I, you know, Jason and I and Mind Body Green, like we all feel passionately about moving the wellness conversation to be less about extreme regimens, less about extreme protocols, less about, you know, taking things out and more about, you know, how do we create more abundance? How do we create more joy? And how do we move towards a state of well-being? So good. Um, so you seem very joyful. Anyway, right now. <laughs> I know, I know Miami has brought you a lot of joy. We got to get down there more. Um, yes. You know, can you just share these? Because you, you, to me, I go down, we go down, we get to hang out with you we do these things, we kind of seep into this joy. And it doesn't feel like we're doing necessarily wellness things. But, you know, Jason calls Mike at six in the morning, and they go out for a walk. And then and then we switch. And then I go out for a walk with you. And we catch up about things. And, and, and part of me, you know, thinking about 
interviewing you here is like, wow, Colleen's already doing it and you're doing your walk and then you're doing your social connection, <laughs> all of these sort of things that you intellectually know from being at the forefront of, of, of reading the science and hearing the doctors talk about it. You seem to, like you said, at, at no cost and low cost, you know, work these <laughs> things into your life now. So can you share with us some of these things that are, you know, basically easy and free that we all can do to experience more joy? Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about walking and walking is like one of the most underrated activities and, um, walking by water, you know, there's studies that show that it can lower your, your cortisol definitely just makes you feel calmer. So one of the things I love that we did about, you know, two weeks ago when I, I needed to talk through some stuff with you was, okay, I'm going to, since you're physically not in Miami, I'm going to call you on the phone and I'm going to do the walk we do by the marina together. So I hear your voice, we're walking, I'm seeing the water and kind of recreating the dynamics of actually being able to do an IRL date um, together. And I think, you know, that's just such a great tool when people are like, I don't know where to start. You don't need to do anything too complicated. It can really be about getting in your steps. Um, and there's, you know, just such great science behind walking to lower dementia and, and just all sorts of great things. You know, we start the joy of well-being with breath because after my pulmonary embolism, it was the first time in my life where I really struggled to breathe. And it's such a long process to work out the clots within your lungs that give you, you know, medication to ensure that the clots don't develop more. But you're really living with clots for, you know, three to six months in my case. And so this idea of breath became really critical and, and kind of came to the forefront for me. Um, and like many people, you know, breath was not something I learned in school. And I, I learned later on that I've been breathing all wrong. Um, but if you take 17,000 to 30,000 breaths a day, so if you're looking for a place to have a really high ROI, you know, this is the best place to start. Um, and I'm a huge fan of nostril breathing. Um, and there's great immune benefits. There's great like filtration benefits. But I think one of the biggest benefits is really about um, activating your parasympathetic nervous system. And I'm always looking for tools that you can use like IRL, like when you're getting really tough news on the spot, when you're driving and frustrated. And that's why I love nostril breathing, because you can literally activate it IRL as opposed to, you know, some other wonderful breathwork techniques that involve, you know, taking time aside in the morning or end of the day, which you can't really activate in, in those IRL moments. So breath is something, you know, hugely personal to me. And, you know, sleep is another, as you know, from all my personal struggles with sleep, it's not something that comes natural to me. And um, I love that it's become a vital sign for health and wellness. Um, I love that people understand that it's no longer, you know, a badge of honor to say, oh, I'm getting by on three or four hours of sleep. If you don't exercise for a couple of weeks, if you don't eat your, you know, green vegetables for a couple of weeks, you're going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. But if you don't sleep for less than a week, you're not going to be okay. And there was a point in my early 20s when I ended up, you know, in a hospital because I literally could not sleep. And the doctor there gave me a Xanax. And that was kind of where my sleep etiquette conversation like started and stopped at that moment in time. And I've learned I have to be really intentional about the type of day I want to create to ensure that I can actually get to sleep at night. That means getting, you know, sun exposure, 
early in the day, it means being thoughtful about the integration of my exercise throughout the day. I don't want to do it too late in the, in the day when it um, kind of uh, can increase my my brain and my activity levels, um, keeping my room cool, but also trying not to have sleep be this thing of stress and joy. And that's, um, I think, you know, one of the hardest things when you struggle with sleep is people say, ah, just don't worry too much about it. And yeah. it's actually true, right? Because like our bodies do know how to to fall and stay asleep. And there's a 2017 study out of Boulder that put some people out camping. And sure mm -hmm. enough, they were able to kind of, you know, after a couple nights, wake up and fall asleep again, mm -hmm. um, you know, back with nature's natural rhythms. And um, what's super exciting about, you know, the world we live in now is yes, there's great technology that can help you, but really you have to be able to de-stress from the stress of sleep so that you can actually enjoy it. And part of that for Jason and I means, you know, there's some parts of sleep etiquette that we do actually ignore. Every sleep scientist will tell you not to watch TV in bed, but we found it brings us a lot of joy to watch some of the Netflix and to really just like escape from our world of health and well-being before bed and truly truly detach. Other people can find that in books, like whatever it is. I think you are at this wonderful moment in time where there's so much information, which you can take it all in. But then the hard work is you have to actually decide what's the needle mover for you and incorporate it or not into your own lives. Yeah. I think that's really helpful for me and for, you know, so many of the people in our community we see, I read something, I'm sure you've seen this as well, that sort of Instagram is making our own homes more boring because everybody's <laughs> homes have turned into like backgrounds. So everybody's buying the same like plant in the corner and the same. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, like the sleep routine. I love what you say because it doesn't need to look like you're making a commercial on Instagram for sleep. It can look like your favorite Netflix show, your favorite book. Like I, after reading your book, I started, I, I've been listening to audiobooks and I felt like some shame around that in the beginning because I wanted to read more books. It was kind of like a personal goal of mine, but I'm like, I can listen more often during the day when I'm driving or whatever than I can sitting on a chair serenely, like reading a book, <laughs> you know, like that takes some time for me. So Totally. You know, I've been doing that at night also before falling asleep. And it's been really, really nice to escape into a story or some other topic than my usual topics as well. So I think, you know, you're bringing back <laughs> the just do what feels good for you in bed. I love that. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, okay. So another thing that I love in the book and also in some of the interviews I've watched of you, and I think this is a really fun one, is the day drinking. <laughs> and I just love that you know, if if you're going to, how you say, if you're going to have a drink at night with your friends, maybe move it to earlier in the day, you know? <laughs> so I think that's yeah. so funny. Yeah. And, and, and alcohol is always such like a, you know, polarizing topic, right? We know there's no health benefits to it. Um, for some people, it's really, um, it's really toxic on a lot of levels. But what I've learned is I do enjoy a drink with friends. However, it can have a profound impact if it's very close to bedtime on my sleep quality. So, I try to be, if I'm going to drink, I want to have it as early in the day as possible so that I have the best chance of having a good night's sleep. And, you know, sometimes there's just times when you have to be like, hey, I know it's going to be a little rough tomorrow and and that's okay. Um, but I do enjoy a celebratory drink. And of course, you know, always better to do it 
um, with friends. And if you haven't started drinking, you probably shouldn't. I love that. Well, you know, I think it can be so, uh, you know, narrow minded, the conversation of health and well-being and, you know, in a way, bringing the joy into it expands being healthy beyond like being healthy to the point of just like being healthy shouldn't necessarily be the only goal. And I love how you you and Jason always share. So why do you want to be healthy? What's what are you doing in your life? What's are you doing something with your family, your kids? Or are you enjoying time with with someone? So is that how you are? You know, is that how you sort of look at at wellness now? Like, OK, it's great to, you know, not have disease in the body and to ward off as much as possible and to have a long life. But what are we really living for? I mean, that that is the right question, right? Like there's been these like big inflection points in my life where I desperately needed health and well-being, right? When I had my pulmonary embolism, when I was trying, you know, to get to get pregnant. And now I look at my life and you know, my why is really my two girls who are now six and four. And in the joy of well-being, we reference Arthur Brooks, who has this idea of of articulating your personal mission statement and truly understanding what is your version of a rich life? What is your version of a life well-lived? And it's going to be different for everyone, which of course is the hard part. But I had my kids at 36 and 39 and I want to be there if they decide to have grandchildren and I want, or if they decide to have children, thus my grandchildren, I want to be able to play with them. I want to be able to be super mobile. I want to be able to travel with them. Um, And I want to be of sound brain and mind. And there was a switch that didn't necessarily go off for me when I had my first kid or my second kid. It was probably more in my early forties where I just started to think, oh, wow, like I want to be in really good shape in mobility and in brain um, for my kids and not necessarily from like a place of of vanity. But even when I think of, you know, building up my, um, you know, body armor or resistance training is really more coming from wanting to be there for my, for my kids and potentially their kids and just having like a really long life um, with them. And I think there is that visualization of, okay, what do I want my life to look like in 30, 40 years? And how do I start intentionally, you know, planning for that? And it's, if I see potential grandchildren or time with my children as a big part of that, it's about nurturing those, you know, relationships now with my kids. And our life now feels relatively simple in that Mm -hmm. it's all about our kids, um, and, uh, you know, the well-being world that we, we live in and that's kind of it. Hmm, so good. Yeah. We're the same <laughs> as you know, that's it. <laughs> but the more simple, the better. Okay. Yeah. So I, I know you are very busy, you know, you had a board meeting right before this and you've got stuff going on. So how do you, how do you do all the things that you are doing with your work life and your, you know, the schedule with, the kids and all the things you have going on and, and stay calm and not let it sort of wrap you up because I know that that's a struggle for so many folks. And as we get back to, you know, East coast and, you know, traveling to see you all more life, I feel like I'm going to need that advice myself. So thank you for providing it. (laughs) No, I, I feel like, um, it's something I've personally had to work on a lot and I've learned like the stress of business doesn't go away. It just, kind of changes, you know, through each kind of phase of the journey. And 
that's been something I've had to to work on personally. Like I'm not the best with uncertainty. So becoming more comfortable with ambiguity has been something I've been working on. And I've had to really focus on calendarizing the things that I know lift me up and make me feel good and making those deposits into my own bank account. I think for whatever reason, sometimes it comes easier to men to kind of be like, I'm going to the gym or I'm doing what I need to do. And I've had to really force myself to like calendar it in with the same type of intentionality that, you know, you would a board meeting or something else. But I know that for me to be at my best, I have to take care of myself um, in a way that's thoughtful. I do have to get my gym time in. I do have to get my time with good friends in. You know, those are things and experiences that really um, feed my soul and make me able to kind of show up. Um, so prioritizing for me exercise, eating well, sleeping, of course, and time with friends. Hmm, that's good. I mean, I, I definitely benefit from your time with friends category. You know, we go down, we have a two days yoga and then it's a Monday morning and I know you have things to do and you're like, Oh, 10 AM, I can go for a walk with you. And I'm like, wow, I win. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> then, Cause I know you have, you know, 80 million calls waiting for you when you get back to the office and all of that. So thanks for fitting me in. I appreciate it. I, I mean, whenever you guys come down, it is like my cup gets so full. And I wish you guys could, I could just beam you here so you could be permanently in Miami because it, it is really hard to find those lifelong friends who have, who understand you. And, you know, when we go through some of these like big inflection points in life, when you're like pulmonary embolism, mm. oh, you visit me in the hospital, you know, <laughs> you were with me every journey of the fertility journey to the end of you know, visiting Ellie in the hospital three weeks before Daisy was born or four weeks before Daisy was born. So, you know, those lifelong friends who have known you through the good and the bad and, and still love you are just really hard to find. Um, so keep those ones close. Yeah, we're really grateful for you all. We we get up early to just to chit chat, Mike and I, and we always talk about, you know, conspiring to get down there more to get some more time. <laughs> I fully support this conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Okay. One other burning question. Um, it's something, you know, this is, it, it seems a bit, it's not weird because you, you've mentioned it, but it feels weird for me because, you know, I grew up Catholic and then I'm like, no to religion for forever, but I've always had this, you know, big experience about love and connection and people and all these things. So, and I know you all have been talking about spirituality more and, you know, doing things like going to church. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. The walk-ups are going to church. Mike, what do you think about that? Should we go to church? How do you find a church that isn't crazy? And, you know, so again, maybe it's sort of the beginning of this conversation, maybe even not just with, with me and you, but like also in wellness, I feel like it's sort of bubbling up a little bit. You know, it's it might be okay to talk about spirituality or find a deeper spirituality beyond just you know, love and connection. So can you talk a little bit about what's going on with you all and spirituality? Totally. And it's so interesting to me that spirituality is one of like the most divisive topics when we talk about it on Mind, Body, Green. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there there's a lot of touchy topics um, within the health and well-being world because people, you know, do put the same type of fervor around it as they do their religion. And one of my favorite stats that has helped really given me a lot of thought provoking time is actually from uh, a PhD who lives part year here in Coconut Grove, Dr. Lisa Miller, and then she teaches at Columbia. 
And she found that when a mother and child were high in spirituality, the child was 80% more protected against depression. And that those effects lasted their entire life. Now, the beauty of this is Dr. Miller has a very generous definition of spirituality. It can be anything from spending time in nature, believing in something bigger than yourself, volunteering. It can be organized religion. And I think, again, like that's where it gets complicated is you have to really find the the spirituality that resonates with you mm. at your core. Um, and it's it's really about something bigger than just ourselves. Mm. And I've been, you know, kind of open to lots of different experimentations since coming here to Miami, like spending a lot of more time in nature. Um, that's been really important to me and also a little bit easier to accomplish here than than in New York. But my why is really now about our two girls. And I think it's really hard to be a human in 2023, but it's really hard to be a girl. You know, we know that there's higher incidences in young girls of of depression and suicide. So how do I help them better weather the ups and downs um, that are inevitably going to come in this lifetime? And so I think partly through that desire, it's fueled my own desire to kind of like dive deeper and, you know, start exploring more than I did over the past decades of life. Yeah, it's cool. I love it. Um, since my dad was going through everything he went through and then passing away, we had these kind of like intense moments of connection and it just kind of reopened me back up. And then hearing you all talk about everything you're exploring, I was like, okay, we're on, we're on a path here. Another new path, something's happening here. So thanks for I feel like it's strange to say, but thanks for being open about talking about spirituality, because I feel like it is this kind of taboo topic in, in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, again, at the end of the day, it's like finding what works for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's such, you know, right now there's a mental health crisis and the impact on girls really, you know, when I think of the things that keep me up at night, that's top of the list. Mm -hmm. So how do we help them, you know? better weather what's what life is like and it's really hard to be a girl especially with you know social media right now it's hmm. awesome oh maybe that's one more question okay i thought the spirituality was last. <laughs> okay and i know everybody's asked you this as well but what are your you know what are your you know personal mom plans for you know, so giving your kids, giving Grace and Ellie phones, like, are you going to give them burner phones, like these flip phones, you know, how do we mix, you know, the safety of, wow, you can call home whenever you want with, you know, I think you and I probably don't want our girls on so much TikTok, you know, as, as young yeah. girls. <laughs> yeah, no, no need for that. And, you know, I'm hoping that by the time Daisy, Ellie and Grace become of age for their actual electronics, that it will become so clear the impact of phones on mental health that you wouldn't, you know, in the same way you wouldn't give your daughter, you know, a drug, you wouldn't give her a phone. So mm -hmm. that's my hope because there's so much data right now that everyone kind of knows it's not good for you. Um, so I'm going to be probably the last mom here. And uh, if I could just give her a burner phone for, you know, safety, that sounds great to me. Mm. Um, but I'm in no rush mm. at all to, to 
be the first mover there. I'd like to be the last mover. Oh, sounds good. I'll, I will take your move after your move. I'll just do what you do. <laughs> it's perfect. My goodness. Oh, well, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm just going to hold this little, um, thank you for signing, um, my book for me. Oh, very oh my gosh. I love you guys so much. <laughs> and I really hope to see you IRL again soon. We'll do it again soon. And, um, thanks for all the joy today. Oh, thank you for making my day. Love you. Love you too. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with my good friend, Colleen Wacob. She's awesome. Excited to get down and see them go for those walks along the water that we do, whether we are on the phone or in real life. Let me know if you have a walking buddy. And if you don't have a walking buddy, you can find one. Let me know. Maybe I can match make some of walking buddies in our Strala community here. We can keep that going. And of course, you're always invited to practice with us on astralahome.com or the Strala Yoga app. It's the same thing. Astralahome.com is simply the web version. Feel free to reach out if you need any extra help joining. We do this as our passion project, as our business, as our life, as our service to help you connect with yourself, make good choices, and support you in your life. So it works. You'll never regret crawling down to the ground and practicing or crawling down into your chair and breathing. And we're here to support you. So big hugs. Have a wonderful day and see you soon. 